Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tamarindo Podcast listeners. This is one of your hosts, Brenda Gonzalez. And of course, who's with me always? Ana Sheila. What's up, y'all? ¿Cómo están, amiguis? Well, this is a very special episode because it is sort of like a dream come true, right? We've been uh, internet friends for a while, and now it's happening in uh, real life, as real as it can be, because it's still via Zoom. <laughs> but we have our friends from the Latinx Lens. This is a podcast that's dedicated to highlighting Latinx representation in film and reviewing film and television from a Latina lens. So welcome to Tamarindo. Thank you so much for having us on. This is uh, Rosa, one uh, co-host and co-founder of the Latinx Lens podcast. And again, thank you so much for having us on. Yes, and this is Catherine Gonzalez, also co-host and co-founder of the Latinx Lens podcast. And it's so awesome to be here. Yeah, yes, yes. Joining us all the way from one of you is in Texas, one of you is in LA, and of course, Anishay is in Mexico City. The internet, right? The internet <laughs> makes it all happen. Uh, well, it, it is a joyous occasion to have you on, but of course, we're recording a few days after a very tragic, 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 horrible, horrible incident, um, just unspeakable actions by a person that was able to get terrible weapons and come into a school. It's just, a, it, it's a parent's nightmare. And the more details that emerge, the the more, more horrible it is. And by the time you all are listening to this, there probably is even more details. So I know that our listeners and our community and the entire country is really, really um, consumed by this tragedy. So I'd love to just start with a quick temperature check because something that really matters to us on Tamarindo is um, what we call our calma moments, which of course, of course were coined by our awesome in-house wellness coach, Ana Sheila. And we'd love to just check in with all of you. Maybe I'll start with Ana Sheila with this question. What are you doing right now to take care of yourself as we're all grappling with this terrible news? Several things. I think one was just letting myself actually feel and and making sure that I was surrounded by folks to hold space. Um, I, I, I didn't, I had to work the next day and I was in a meeting and they asked me how I was and I was like, I'm not well. So just like acknowledging what I'm feeling and creating this space, wh wherever you are, whether it's at work or anywhere else to actually feel things and talk through it. And so I think just connecting with a lot of people, um, working out. I worked out. That was really helpful for me. Um, yeah, but I, it was, it was extremely hard for me. So just working out, connecting with people, holding space and reminding myself that like, we get to keep doing the work that we do and that it's even more important that we keep doing it. So those are just yes. a, a few top of mind things. Thank you so much. And how about you, Catherine, um, how, especially you that's, that's closer, you're, you're in Texas and how are you taking care of yourself right now? Yes, I I didn't feel it the first day, like when it first broke. I was like, I, I almost had, had that reaction. I think maybe a lot of us have of sort of being desensitized to it. So I was like, oh, another shooting. Let's cue the, the same remarks that's going to happen. And then 
it wasn't until the next day where I think it kind of hit me when I saw the photos and I was like, oh my goodness, this is really close to home. And while it doesn't directly affect me, I do have friends who are in education. My mom was a teacher and I was just thinking about my own experience of not ever having to do drills or anything like that. I, it never even crossed my mind. So all of that was going on along with some guilt of, oh, I was already being desensitized. Like I was like, oh, another shooting. Okay, move on. You know, and then I was like, no, I, I took time to kind of learn more about, you know, the victims and, and, and try to see more about it to kind of acknowledge that, you know, these were four, 19 lives and plus two teachers. And to, even though I don't know them directly, just to kind of give them that, you know, that, um, uh, you know, just, I don't know, just uh, remember them, even though I don't know them. And then I think what helps a lot for me, and I don't know how I survived without him, um, but uh, my husband sent me a photo of my dog and he was just like in this weird, like funny position. And then I was just thinking about him, like, you have no idea what's going on. All you care about is food, play, and, um, you know, hoping you get to sleep on my bed. And I like that kind of calmed me down too. Cause I was like, and then I came home and I, you know, we, we go to the park and, um, and then this morning my husband kind of told me like, let's go walk. And, and I went to go walk and then, you know, we played with him. And, um, so it was, I think that that always calms me down of just sort of, um, I think when people need you, well, well, my furry dog needs me. That kind of also helps you take away from, um, like sitting in your thoughts. So that really, really helped me kind of calm down and it still feel feels a little weird and I think it's just a lot of guilt because you're like well I gotta work but it's also like you can't ignore like it just fe felt weird even though I'm not directly affected by it but it, it does affect all of us I think in a way exactly exactly right and how about you Rosa what is the way that you're you're kind of dealing with all of this the way that we we're, we're all we're all consuming this information yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the day it happened, it, it hit me hard. Um, I'm a mother of four kids and it's, I mean, kids who are in elementary school. Um, so, so it was very, it was a, a reality check, a reminder to always hold your loved ones close, um, always express uh, how much you love them and never be uh, afraid to showcase your feelings and letting my, my, my kids themselves express what they're feeling and express what, what, what all of this is, is causing them. And at the same time, internally, I'm just angry. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry and so done with all of this, that, that we have people in positions of power that do absolutely nothing about this. And it, it's frustrating to live in a world like this. Um, and one of my kids didn't want to go to school I did, in, in the following day, and rightfully so. I, I cannot blame her, but it's, it's rough. Um, it's rough as, as a citizen, as a mother, and also as, as just a, another human being in this world. Uh, we have to live in this reality of mass shootings sadly being um, a regular thing. Shifting gears now, complete total shift. Uh, we are so excited to have you here because, of course, something you all talk a lot about is Latinx representation. And so we want to first explore Latinx representation in media. And, and having two Latina critics right here is so exciting because you're, you are from a field, you know, the critics field is a field just like everything else, mostly dominated by cis straight white men. So it's so refreshing to have Latinas involved in this. And uh, a few weeks ago, 
the Latinas also had a moment in media and, and in the culture. And that was largely because of a SNL skit written by comedian who, comedian uh, Melissa Villasenor, who is Mexican-American, and opposite Selena, Selena Gomez, who is also Mexican-American. And in this skit, they had the two of them were dressed in, you know, chola, chola fashion, but sort of like dated chola fashion. Mm -hmm. And they were co-hosts of a fictional public access show called A Pica Pico, <laughs> set in East L.A. County. Uh, it's supposed to be set in the, in the East L.A. County city of Pico Rivera. The skit produced many think pieces because whenever we have a moment in the culture, you know, there's think pieces out there, Twitter fights, conversations. Not everybody was sad about it. So I'd love to start with you, Rosa. What did you think about this moment in, in the culture about this, this particular skit? And what's your take on all this? Yes. Um, as an East LA native uh, who grew up <laughs> with, with cholos and cholas and, and in the culture, I have to say, I didn't mind it. Uh, I didn't mind it as much as, as other people did. Um, first of all, it, it's SNL. Uh, that's the bread and butter to poke fun of, of everything and everyone. And when, when you have a skit that, um, of course, you have two Mexican-Americans um, delivering it. And I, I I'd like to think that if it was in any way, shape or form offensive, they wouldn't have gone forward with it. Um, and the fact that they did, I found it a little bit hilarious. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, for me, I know that everything I see on media, um, whether it's a movie or a TV show or a skit in this case, it isn't necessarily 100 uh, percent representative or factual of, of those certain groups of people. In this case, it would be Chola. So um, I'm OK making fun of, of uh, to me, it was them making fun of what's already a stereotype and uh, of Cholas and then poking fun of it and having fun with it. So I didn't mind it as much, although I do understand why a lot of people aren't necessarily too fond of it. Yes. And Catherine, what would you add to this? What did you think about the debates at the Skitsburg? Like, what does it say about Latina representation? I think it says that um, we have such, maybe it's a lot like less than what we would like. So when there is this one representation in a big show like SNL, people are like, oh, that's what you chose, even though it just is one part. I mean, cholas exist. They are part of the culture. You can't say that they don't. The stereotype is there for a reason. Whether, you know, who is telling that stereotype, I think is important. So in this case, it was Melissa Villasenor. So I love that they took it back. And then also Selena Gomez was involved. So at least we had that because, I mean, we can't all we we cannot say that we don't talk about, you know, we don't make fun of Chola or whatever, you know, we make fun of ourselves, our community. So I feel like, um, and the best way to kind of move forward in conversations is to, you know, make light and, in, in, you know, in a, in a thoughtful, not necessarily um, bad way, but that's what SNL is all about. They make fun of everybody. So, um, but I think it just says that, you know, we are starving for more representation because maybe people who don't identify as cholas, I mean, I'm, I'm not a chola, but I was around that growing up as well. Um, and maybe you're like, oh, that's the one thing you chose instead of all this other stuff. Why didn't you show us as like the president or I don't know, something like that. Um, but to me, I found it funny. Um, actually, um, I saw it again before. Um, for, for, you know, in preparation for this. And I, I was like, I wish they would have doubled down even more because, you know, they didn't have like the dark eyebrows that I'm used to. And like, I feel like the, the, 
you know, they could have done a little bit more to even make it make it maybe um, make it a little bit more funny or they could have made the Cholas maybe like, you know, they kind of went in the they didn't know what they were doing. They could have made it where it was actually, you know, kind of a and like a different sort of thing, like they would have known what they were doing, you know, speaking to the thing. So I feel like there could have been different ways to do it. But I mean, it's just a scare. It was funny. And I think to me, it matters that it was the people from the community doing it um, because we talk a lot about a, a podcasts like thoughtfulness. And if, if there are stereotypes or there are depictions, where is it coming from? Is it, you know, there are, you know, like the gang members and stuff. So, but where is it coming from and who's telling it and how is it being told? So um, in this case, I think it was theirs to kind of take back and make fun of. So I, I didn't mind it at all. Yeah. Well, I got to chime in. I got to chime in. And, and my biggest problem with it is just wasn't that funny. <laughs> like I, I kind of agree with you that they, exactly, yeah. <laughs> they could have done a much better job in the cholas that I know, dude, they are super witty. They will cut you with their words. And these, these characters were just so mm-hmm. dumb. And that, that is not at all the cholas that I know. Yeah. So I, I, I feel that it, that's my biggest beef with it is that it just wasn't funny. <laughs> and I'm, um, but I, I can appreciate some of the, um, take, some people have that have that that like, hey, you know, we got a chance. <laughs> we got a chance. We need more chances. So interesting cultural moment. You, you can't deny that it was a cultural moment because there were so many think pieces and opinions and thoughts. And hopefully we see more. And let's get via, let's give Melissa a little bit of help with that writing. All right, y'all. So this month is June. It's the start of Pride. It's something we celebrate, obviously, every day on this pod. We're encouraged by seeing shows like Vida that are lifting up queer and Latinx representation, as well as the increase of non-binary roles like the one from our recent guest, Vico Ortiz, played in Our Flag Means Death. Uh, this sort of representation continues to be urgently necessary because without it, it's easier to keep passing legislation like Florida's Don't Say Gay Law or the anti-trans laws we're seeing emerge. The phrase representation matters. It's so simple, but it's so true. And it matters because media shapes culture and contributes to unconscious bias. And it's especially important that we keep our foot on the gas when it comes to representation in this work, um, when we're seeing this wave of regressive legislation. And, you know, critics are an important component of media. You know, when only white men review shows by white men, we get a distorted picture of what's actually worth watching. So we appreciate the Latinx lens for adding more voices to the world of critics. So we'd love for you to tell us, like, what are some of the shows or films that you believe are making a meaningful difference in in how our community is represented? So uh, let's start with you, Catherine. Yeah, so I um, am a big um, supporter of shows that don't necessarily highlight or hit you over the head with, hey, here's a Latino, here's a Latina, and this is what we do, and throwing in Spanish just because. Um, I don't go around in my own life doing that. And and, um, and I think that's also, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I feel like that's where a lot of shows kind of um, don't get it right. and Or writers who are not of the community feel so much pressure and then they um, don't get it right because they, they're going off stereotypes of other things. Um, so... To me, I really like um, shows um, like the Umbrella Academy, who has um, the Diego character, where he's just a superhero, and um, you know he's a little bit like ditzy, but he's fun, and he's very he's the heart of the show, um, and, and and like they don't even talk about you know where he's from and the family, and it's such a clever way too because all those kids in that uh, family 
are of different origins, but they were brought together because of their abilities. So it's such a clever way to add so much, um, you know, culture without having to say it. Everyone, you know, obviously looks a different way, but, and you can kind of gravitate towards the character that you like, but you see a bit of everything. Um, and it's actually um, his brother in the show, Klaus, they were like, in I think season two, they were set in Dallas in like the 1960s. And he was the one like, let's go get tacos, you know? And if they had made, Diego get tacos that would have been more problematic to me but the fact that like you know it's it was just sort of I think like a way for them to kind of cleverly not do that and not make Diego a stereotype Um, so that's one of my favorites and season three is coming back uh, very soon and it's on Netflix so if you want to catch up with the Umbrella Academy um, you can go watch the first two seasons on Netflix Um, and then also I mean the main one that came out recently I have to talk about is Moon Knight um, with our with our uh, with the Oscar Isaac, the um, crush we all share. <laughs> yes, and I, I feel like we we did an episode about him. We did a deep dive, um, and we were just talking about how much he also resembles Raúl Julia, which we also did an episode about, where they're chameleons, where they kind of are the ones I think that also jump uh, or, or like uh, lead the way to making um, like the representation of of what Latino actors can do, um, because you don't have to fit into just that mold. Like he is playing. He, I mean, I am a very big. Um, fan of like British shows and like royal shows and you know period pieces in that area and so like hearing him talk in that accent um was so fun um I don't want to spoil it for people who have not seen it yet it's on Disney plus but um and you don't necessarily have to have watched all the other shows because I haven't watched all the other Marvel shows but I was like I gotta watch Moon Knight for him which is a smart uh, plan by Disney and Marvel but um yeah and then you know and then he's just playing this other character and then if you stay till the end you'll get a little bit of some flair you know um but I I just love that he he, he you know there's nothing of that in Latino and I know there was some conversations too um where I saw like oh he's not playing a Latino character and blah, you know and that kind of thing and I was like I, I don't think we should box ourselves in either like you know actors are you know able to uh, encompass so much so I feel like don't box ourselves in because then you're not going to be able to get out of the box as well like I love so many different things I would not want to only review Latina Latino shows I support them and I love highlighting the actors who are not highlighted but we also on our podcast talk about so many other movies that we love too you know and and add our lens to it because that's important as well so I think Moon Knight um, is also a really nice way like you and you don't even know it you know like people are going to discover Oscar Isaac watch some of his other things. And then it's like a good gateway to, you know, maybe um, having more leading uh, men and women, you know, in that, and like with Latinos and Latinos. So that's um, Latina, sorry. Um, And then there's a recent one. I just watched the first episode, but I haven't um, seen the whole series. Um, But it's, I think, number one on Netflix right now, The Lincoln Lawyer. Um, And it's uh, starring Manuel Garcia Rootful, who it was, uh, the movie was played by Matthew McConaughey, but it's actually based on a book. And the book actually was like the, um, the, his mom was Mexican. And I think his dad was, um, I forget what he was, but then they, they sort of with this adaptation wanted to lean into the Mexican side. So he is, you know, um, the leading lawyer in that and I, and it's doing so well. So it just showcases like, you don't have to, you know, I don't know. There, there's ways to, to, to have representation and, um, and all the ones I mentioned are not like kind of hitting you over the head with it. I mean, there's a lot of shows that are very specific one day at a time Vida, Um, but I think in the way to kind of make more stride to, um, is to kind of have those shows where you don't even talk. It's like normal, you know, you don't have to know everything. And then within that, I think there are ways that you can have little details 
Um, uh, details are really important for me. Like hair representation, um, is something too, like, um, like Julie and the Phantoms, Julie has like big curly hair and I, I have big curly hair. And to be honest, growing up, that was the thing that probably scarred me the most is seeing people with straight hair all the time and (laughs) trying, and and that was before like straighteners and everything. And then seeing like people just be so confident in the curly hair. I wear my hair down more than I ever have in my life now. And I feel like that is, you know, a reason, like also the representation of having more diverse characters who have diverse hair so I um I appreciate that more so too is the details of when you do have diverse representation but then the details with that and not conforming to what has Mm. come before so that's a big deal for me too (laughs) yeah now Catherine I feel you on on the curly hair um and I think that you know you share some I think it's encouraging that we're seeing more of that type of representation right where you're not getting hit over the head with it, but you are, you do have those details. So that I think is, is encouraging. Um, and, and Rosa, what, what about you? What films are having an impact on how Latinx folk are, are depicted? Yes. Um, as of late, I, I have come to notice since I started um, in like immersing myself more into film criticism and trying to stay up to date with newly released films. I have come to notice there's a little bit more slowly, but surely, but we are getting more representation of Latinos um, on screen. And of course, behind the camera as well, or um, either in screenwriting or, or directing movies. And I remember uh, uh, when we we were doing what some of my, our favorite films from last year, Plan B was always up there for me, which is written and directed by Natalie Morales. Um, it's currently streaming on Hulu. And what Plan B did for me, it, it really left an everlasting impact. It's about these two teenage girls um, who have to embark on a road trip because they have to um, drive across a state where they are able to um get plan B, uh, a, a emergency contraceptive. So it, it, it's touching upon so many subjects in that we are um, talking about female reproductive rights, but we're also doing it through two minority lenses. Um, one of the, one of the friends, she's Indian. And then the other one, she, she's a Latina who has, he was the daughter of a very religious pastor. Um, and, and, and we see little, these road trip movies that uh, th- this particular one, it's so, it's funny. It's hilarious. Hilarious, but it's also touching upon uh, so many topics of interest that us as women of color experience so often, but sadly, it isn't depicted as much in, in media, specifically in movies. So we, um, when Catherine and I posted our review, and we went in depth uh, as to from talking about female reproductive um, uh, rights to bioethics, um, why they wouldn't, weren't even able to, to obtain plan B because the pharmacist didn't want to give it to them because the pharmacist didn't believe in, in providing that and the, the ethical issues between that. And then and it's just a beautiful depiction of friendship and, and so on and so forth. And when we posted our review, um, Natalie commented on it and she said, yes, you girls got it. And that goes to speak of the importance of having a diverse lens, having, having somebody from a very similar background. Um, of the director and the writer of movies like this and, and how we come with a different perspective and different lens uh, to, to view these films and how our experience obviously shape how we interpret them. Um, therefore, uh, how we critique the movie as well. So Easily Plan B is it's one of my favorites. Uh, as of late, we've also been diving into a lot of Latin American films, which unfortunately don't get the, sadly, the... Um, the recognition they they deserve. One of my favorites is La Llorona from 2019 from Jairo Bustamante. It's a Guatemalan film that 
um, gets the 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 mythical legend of of the whipping lady, so called La Llorona, which is which obviously haunted my nightmares while I was little. Um, she she obviously was uh, the reason why I, I had to fall asleep quicker and 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 just have beautiful memories of that myth and legend. But um, in this movie, it, it obviously it's a horror movie, but we see how um, somebody from a Native American perspective is eventually recapturing uh, the representation and the image of something like La Llorona and depicting it in such a way where you can also portray the the indigenous genocide, unfortunately, that happened back in the 80s in Guatemala, sadly, with a lot of Mayans, um, indigenous people being murdered um, by these dictators. So he intertwines all of those things. And there is not an easy watch, but I certainly think it's an important one. And once again, it goes to say, um, the importance of having uh, Latinos behind the camera because we tend to tell stories that are more personal to us and that are also socially important. Um, so, yeah, th those are some of the films that that I can think of for now. But I, I, I mean, in the Heights that just recently came out, um, I don't want to talk about that movie that takes place in the west side of New York. But yeah, it's another musical, I guess, that was a remake <laughs> um, that, that you guys can go and seek out. But we are slowly but surely seeing a lot more representation in different genres, like the buddy, uh, the buddy comedy, as well as horror, as well as musicals. And it, it's promising, but we, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Before we transition, though, I do want to I'm curious because you just you spoke so quickly about it. But um, yeah. in the Heights, um, I share Maria Hinojosa's feelings that it was sort of shunned. <laughs> very cute, very quickly, quick take. What is your take on In the Heights? Because it was such a, an opportunity to be celebrated, but yet it came, it got shut down. <laughs> and instead, we're celebrating a, another musical directed by a white man, yeah. which I haven't seen. But I'm curious about sort of the, the placing those two side by side. You, I don't. Um, <laughs> I can't place them side by side. I, I, I came out saying I wasn't necessarily the fan, the biggest fan of West Side Story. I've never been fond of the of the film, even the one in the sixties. Oh, the one in the sixties is more problematic. Yeah, sadly, I'm, I'm afraid that In the Heights did get a lot of backlash before it even came out, and unfortunately, that affected it. It's um, box office uh, things and it's, the controversial. Uh, Things came up like the lack of, of Afro-Latino representation and rightfully so. Uh, but I think that a, a musical like this one that's written by Lin-Manuel Miranda and it's easily his uh, it's his first ever theatrical um, Broadway debut and for it to be on screen. And there's there's a sequence in that movie that brought me to tears. Every time I see it, it brings me to tears. And it's Carnaval de Barrio where you have all the Latino flags represented. Oh, my God. And, yes, I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps just thinking yes. about this <laughs> Yes. And I, I cannot express how much, how important that specific scene was to see. I mean, I'm, I'm Mexican-American, but both of my parents are from Mexico. And to see the Mexican flag being waved with such pride in a celebratory manner and not necessarily having it associated with either narcos or any negative um, connotation to it, man, that was just beautiful. And I cannot not imagine what other Latinos were seeing their flag there. We tend to be very proud people and be proud of where we come from and our roots and our ancestry so that specific scene was incredibly powerful for me and I am saddened that that it wasn't celebrated as much as the other one <laughs> the other yeah, music one, 100 100 yeah. <laughs> 
beautiful reflections. And now y'all have some homework on some shows and movies to check out. But we're going to be back after a short break. It's Pride Month, and we are so excited to see so many queer folks out in the streets. While we pause to reflect and celebrate the gains we've seen for LGBTQ plus folks, our friends at Justice Work want to make sure we never stop making progress. The team at Justice Work has been in the field for almost a full year collecting our experiences through the National Women's Community Survey. It's the first national survey of its kind designed to capture the experiences of LGBTQ plus women, especially Latinx, Black, Indigenous people, and folks of color. Visit www.lgbtqwomensurvey.org and get started today. That's lgbtqwomensurvey.org, and we will link that in our show notes. We want to encourage you to take the survey. It covers so many topics about the experiences of LGBTQ plus women, and it's because all of these needs deserve to be addressed. Take your time. You have up to seven days to complete it after you start. Just save your tab. Encourage your lesbian, bi, pansexual, trans, intersex, asexual, and queer women friends to take it too. Oh, and like I said, save the tab. You have seven days to complete it. Sharing your experiences will help address the gaps in knowledge and policy about the experiences of LGBTQ plus women, their partners, and their families. So start the survey and complete the survey at lgbtqwomensurvey.org. Once again, lgbtqwomensurvey.org. And like I mentioned, you have seven days to complete it once you start. So take your time. Hey, all, we want to remind you that you can use the offer code Tamarindo at Sholobooks.com, the Latina-owned online bookstore dedicated to decolonizing your bookshelf. We love to read. We know you love to read. And now you can do it while supporting Latina small businesses with that code at Sholobooks.com. Right now, you can pre-order Erica Sanchez's new memoir, Crying in the Bathroom. Erica is the author of I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And once again, the offer code is TAMARINDO, T-A-M-A-R-I-N-D-O. Y'all know how to spell that. All caps at checkout to save 10% off at Sholo Books, spelled X-O-L-O Books. We are excited to bring back our Zoom book club, which we did a couple of times during the pandemic times. I guess we're still in the pandemic times, but we are doing a Zoom book club with Erika Sanchez herself. We are so, so excited. This is a free online event happening July 21st at 12 p.m. Pacific time. So come spend your lunch break with us and dive into this book, Crying in the Bathroom. And once again, please pre-order that book at sholobooks.com. Use the offer code Tamarindo to save 10% off. And we can't wait to Zoom you later. So we're back from break and we're really excited to kind of shift and now ask Tamarindo a few questions. Um, Get ready. (laughs) Um, Something that we all share is that we're disrupting the podcast space and speaking out with our voice and with as some of the few Latinas uh, led podcasts. So we want to ask you a few questions. Uh, Rosa, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, of course. So through our podcasting journey, we've been learning not only to um, the way others see us, but how we've been, uh, we see ourselves through the depictions and how those depictions and thoughts um, can seep in subconsciously. Uh, discussing movies and TVs, we often find these areas where we didn't realize we'd have been silenced by our own fear, uh, either being too much 
or um, which were obviously embedded um, within our upbringing and family telling us to be quiet and stay in our lane and so on. Um, so there's this Spanish saying that uh, I grew up listening to a lot in, which is um, calladita te ves más bonita, which uh, roughly translates to you look more prettier or beautiful while you're either silent or not saying anything. Um, and th this type of internal uh, misogyny and, and silence um, can obviously be very prevalent in the Latino community. So my question, of course, is gonna be um, directed to, to Brenda first. Um, was this type of mentality present um, while you were growing up? And if so, what was the process like to um, dismantle it? Yeah, no, thank you. I think that's such a common um, feeling, expression that is not exclusive to Latinos, but sort of this, this sentiment is misogyny is global, right? Uh, but uh, fortunately for me, I um, I was just thinking about this. I was just thinking, I'm so grateful that my parents didn't drag me to church and all this stuff. So <laughs> my parents are, by Mexican standards, they're probably a little bit more more liberal, but I've oh, I personally have always been the words that are used to describe me are brusca, atrabancada, you know, like just out of control, right? I've always been this ball of energy and I've always been hard to control. And my parents were told to medicate me, but they did it. But I was, you know, so I've always been calladita is a very hard thing for me to be. So, so uh, I, I, I'm happy and grateful that my parents sort of like let that let that happen like they were sort of like okay with it but um it's gotten me into some problems in the in my life too because there's been literal physical fights that I've been in in my life so I know that it's also um an opportunity for me to like maybe find some some, some places to be calladita but I'm, I'm grateful that, that that that's not something that that has shown up too much for me but it is definitely something that we push against in on this podcast and just in general, just trying to, to help people uh, kind of hold a mirror up to our society and find the ways that misogyny shows up because it's so present. It, it's, it's present in films. It's present in, in the language we use. It's present across cultures and it's incredibly dangerous and harmful. So we're often um, looking to see where that shows up because sometimes it's subtle and hidden and finding ways that we could disrupt and, and push back on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And unlike Sheila, was this also a part um, present in your upbringing? Uh, no, I think similar to, to Brenda, my my parents were a little bit more on on the liberal side in, in, in that regard. I, my dad was definitely someone that was like, you know, I want you to win. I want you to be a chingona. I want you to take up space. Like, I definitely got that from both my from both my parents. I did, there were other ways in which I did see sort of like, you know, machismo um, represented in, in the home sometimes, but, but not, not in that, in that way. Um, but, but that said, I did sort of start to silence myself growing up as a little girl. And I think where it happened for me, um, maybe two places, one was, you know, starting to get a little bit older when you start to, you know, you realize that you are, you know, quote unquote, a girl and, and, the, and those changes that start to happen. And I used to just dress however I wanted to. And I remember I got to a certain point when I was about 10 or 11, where a, a little boy was like, you, are you a boy or a girl? Cause you look like a girl and, and you dress like, like a boy. And at that point I had just been allowed to wear whatever I wanted to. And at that, that was the first time that I had to think about like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm a girl. So I'm supposed to look a certain way. And so that was kind of the beginning of me sort of starting to, 
hide myself, silence myself, try to take up less space in the way that I actually wanted and more in the way that I was told to. And I think similarly, as an immigrant, I think, you know, like the things that I saw in the media made me feel like in order to, you know, fit in, I had to be a really good immigrant. And so that, I think that also meant that I started to hide a little bit more of my personality and started to quiet, be quiet and take up less space because I didn't want to, you know, ruffle feathers or, you know, be thought of as, as not like the perfect immigrant. And so those are the ways it was more like society that started to sort of quiet me and, and silence me. And, 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 um, I lost some of my personality trying to, to, to fit in and be this, the, the right immigrant, the right girl, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Wow, no, that, that that's very um, um, very relatable um, in my case, particularly with the dress code. I'm not a very dressy, dressy kind of girl, no heels, no none of that. So, yeah, I can definitely connect with you with that one. And I think that's a good transition to um, a question that I have um, because you, I, I do remember um, when I was younger, I was so a little bit more like Brenda where I was, you know, outgoing and everything. And I think as I got older, I don't know what it was, if it was maybe me seeing images in the media or, you know, my mom was more of like a quiet kind of person. So she, she would kind of tell me like, Oh, if someone asks you for something, like just say you're okay. And so I started getting that mentality of like not saying anything, not raising my hand, even though I knew the answer sort of thing. And so it's taken me a while um, to kind of break out of that. Um, and, but there's a lot of layers to, um, you know, uncovering, uh, and and being confident and finding that voice. And like through our podcast, I feel like I become more confident, even though we talk about movies and TV, which can be, can seem superficial, but the themes that we talk about within those movies and, and, um, and TV like bring up so many things like Rosa previously mentioned about plan B and we got into this whole conversation that I was not even expecting. And that happens a lot on our podcast. I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I said that. Um, so I have found my voice through that. And even, um, you know, it's, it's trans it's transitioned to my real life where I feel more confident in talking, um, even though I've just talking about movies and TV. Um, so I want to ask Ana Shayla, what would you say to Latinas who may struggle to say, I mean, um, you know, not, they haven't found their voice yet. They're not feeling confident. Um, how did you kind of break out of, you know, silencing yourself? Like, how did you um, find your own voice? Well, first, I just want to acknowledge you really quick, Catherine. I want to send you a virtual hug because it sounds like we've had sort of similar experiences, <laughs> sort of quieting yeah. ourselves down and then finding ways to, to get to get out of that. So I just want to send you a little little hug through the through Thank the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, the first thing I want to say is like, if you have been conditioned to stay quiet or hide, it, it's 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 not like all of a sudden you're going to wake up and say, you know what, I want to be bold. I want to say exactly how I feel at all times and I'm going to take up space like this. So I think the first thing I, I would say to, to, to um, Latinas that are struggling with this is like, be compassionate with yourself. It's going to take a lot of little steps for you to to get out of, of your shell. And I think the first step is is being compassionate and, and not, um, you know, being hard on yourself or shaming yourself for not being able to be exactly what you want to be. Um, so I'd say that's the first thing. Start with compassion. And then just uh, after that, it's, it's really like the next step, I think, is just really understanding why it is that you feel that way. Why? Where did this come from? This, you know, the sense that you had to hide or that you couldn't take up space. Um, really identifying, pinpointing those moments that led you to feel that way and then starting to challenge them. And it's like after that, it's really just some like mental exercise, just the way you go to the gym. It's like, we really have to practice with our brain. And one of the ways I've recommended on, on the show before is actually 
identifying what are those stories, what are those memories that, that triggered this, and then starting to challenge them. And the way you can challenge them, one way you can challenge them is actually writing affirmations that challenge those ideas. So, you know, like saying my voice matters, my opinion matters, people want to hear me. So those kinds of affirmations and actually repeating them, um, it could be every morning, it could be in moments where you would like to take up space, like right before kind of sort of like hyping yourself up to get into the space where you can use your voice more. And then after that, it's also just going to be going for it, but doing it in a, in a small way. So, cause it, you, it may feel really, you may feel unsafe. You may feel scared to do it. So what are small ways that you can start to test the water? And it's just continuing to do that over and over and over again until you get comfortable in bigger and bigger spaces. So small ways can be, can you commit to saying one thing in a meeting? If that's something that you struggle with, can you, um, you know, do a live with another person, you know, if you can't do it by yourself. So what are small ways that you can start to take up more space and use your voice more that can help you keep expanding how you feel comfortable and how you use your voice. So, so those are a few things that, that I would say. That's great. I'm going to use some of those because there's still areas where I'm struggling with <laughs> in, in being um, outspoken. Um, but we, we're honest on the podcast too, where you know we'll say, oh, I don't really feel comfortable saying this, but I think I should. And I feel like those are the small steps you're talking about without even knowing that we're, we've been doing them um, that kind of break that silence. Um, but Brenda, what about you? I know, you know being outspoken comes naturally, but are there any areas or advice that you want to add to that? I like what you said, Catherine, about like saying on the podcast, I, I don't even know if I really want to say this. And you just say it because what I have uh, learned through this podcast, through the social media that we manage related to the podcast is that so many people relate. So whatever thought that you think is like just you, you put it out there and 75 people will be like, yes, me too. So um, I think that's really kind of the neat thing is that there's so many other Latinas out there. There's so many other people that have lived experiences that are similar to ours and th that th they don't get to hear their thoughts and their, their experiences and their uh, point of view reflected so much. So that's why it's so important that we're doing things like, let's try having a podcast you know, <laughs> and all the work that comes behind it. And, and one thing too that, that I have experienced is that self-doubt and, and the lack of confidence, all of that has kind of ebbed and flowed in different periods of my life. I would say my early 20s, because I didn't know any better, <laughs> I just walked into every room like I owned it, but I probably shouldn't have, you know, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have. But then that totally really went away in my late Am I in my late thirties? I guess I am. I think in my in the last few years, there has been more instances of of self doubt of of what am I doing with my life? You know these. So I do think that no matter what kind of upbringing you had, or no matter what kind of whether you're you're shy or confident, etc., everybody everybody suffers from self doubt. Everybody feels uncomfortable trying something new. And I think Anna Shayla has really gave us all some great tips that we can take from in case we want to just step into our voice and power, which is the name of one of our workshops. So thanks, Anna Shayla, for all those great tips. You're welcome. <laughs> um, we only have time for one more question, right? 
Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah, just one more. Okay. So I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and give the last one. Um, so we, we like to end our, our interviews on a positive note. And um, we often, <laughs> we ask every person we um, interview, uh, who are some Latinos or Latinas or Latinx um, influence that inspired you? It can be on a professional level, on a personal level, uh, whether it's a person, you know, books, movies, etc. Um, Brenda, we'll start with you. Oh my goodness. I have to have to think about who gosh, there's been there's been so many people. I already mentioned Marina Hosa because she's amazing and when we love her. Of course, she's behind Futuro Media, who just won a Pulitzer. So big matraca to Marina Hosa was what we like to give. Um I guess I w- I'm thinking to my mom because I just saw a picture of her because <laughs> I'm looking at my reflection. I would say, yeah, my mom, we talk about this all the time. I know this is a low hanging fruit, but of course my mom is amazing because I just thought about how she didn't make me go to church. I just thought about how she, she um, uh, loves me with all my quirks. So I would say it's my mom. <laughs> I'll keep it easy. I'll make it easy for myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. So I mean, mothers, they're, they're incredible. And Anashela, who, who are some of yours? Well, I, I, since Brenda said her mom, I'm going to just quickly just give a shout out to my mom because I can't leave my mom hanging. If I, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll just say quickly, my mom like showed me that like mujeres can be chingonas and they can run families and finances. And like, she's the one, the reason that we came to the U.S. is because my mom got a job. So like she just has shown me that like women can be anything and do anything. And like the more that I the older that I get, the more that I can see like how powerful and strong and all the things she was and in a way that I didn't see when I was growing up. So I just want to give a quick shout out to her. Um, and then another one that we, that we both love and it has just continued to be top of mind um, is, and now I have her name in front of me so I could say the whole thing. And you, I think you'll know who I'm talking about, Brenda. Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Um, just cause I, she's, she's been top of mind. I've been following her a lot and I really enjoyed her book for Brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts because it really captures literally every chapter captures the things that I've really been going into deeply the last few years, the things that I've been unlearning and challenging about so many things about toxicity, about intersectionalism, about, um, intersectionality, about, um, racism so many things that like every chapter is like oh my god this girl feels me so hard and these are all the things that i've been thinking about and exploring and then challenging and learning and shifting in the last few years shout out to to her <laughs> yeah i'll add a couple of things because y'all can get get her book at 10 percent off using tamarindo's podcast tamarindo's code tamarindo at Shola books but also speaking of great authors and writers um, erica sanchez who's the writer behind um not your perfect mexican daughter who is going to have a film made out of that book, Latina-led project. So I know all of us are going to be lining up to watch that. Uh, but also she, we're going to have an event with her and you can also pick up her book <laughs> with 10% off using our code Tamarindo at Shola Books, but we're having an event with her in July, July 21st. So we, one of the blessings of, of stepping into your voice and power and having a podcast is you get to connect with awesome women like both of you, like the women mm-hmm. we mentioned and all of our listeners. So I just want to thank you so much for, for uh, being here on Tamarindo. It, it's been super, super, super fun. <laughs> no, it, it's an incredible honor. And if I have to say my Latinas that influenced me, you too, Tamarindo. Without Aww. Tamarindo, there'd be no Latinx lens. There would be no, um, I'm getting emotional. I don't know why. Oh my God, um, so bye. <laughs> and Aww. you guys did pay 
paved the way. I wouldn't have had the courage to even attempt to do a podcast without you guys. So, oh my you. God, I, Rosa, I hope we, I hope we get to hang out. You know, Anashela's going to be in LA pretty soon, so let's have a, let's have a podcast. I party. love oh that. <laughs> favor, I, I, I literally want to give all of y'all a hug, and I can't cry again because I've been crying for the last few days. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and and Catherine, we'll, we'll have to zoom you in. We will have to Facetime you. Yes, in. yes. Or we'll come see you in Texas because we're yes, like, <laughs> come. I've been trying to get Rosa to come, so you guys are all welcome. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Thank you so, so much. Have a beautiful and blessed rest of your day. Matracas to you. All the love to you. Muchísimas gracias. Bye. 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 This episode of Tamarindo featured music from the band Making Movies from their new album, which is coming out June 17th. If you like what you hear, please rate and review Tamarindo on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Twitter at TamarindoCast, on Instagram at TamarindoPodcast, and get in touch with us at TamarindoPodcast.com. And welcome to I Am Besties. I'm Stephanie Ramirez. And I'm Vanessa Casares. We're two Latinas coming together to create a space for heart to heart chit chats on everything that matters. From relationship advice to empowering women, exploring spiritual insights, and healing trauma, we've got it all covered. We're your go to besties, sharing personal stories and bringing on inspiring guests for an engaging and entertaining listening experience. I Am Besties, where you'll find laughter, love, and a supportive sisterhood. Join us and be a part of the family.